you guys this is pg okay so it we keep it pretty pg we keep it pretty uh fg for uh flash gordon <laughs> but uh we uh but one the one thing um that we we you know um this is kind of like a more academic podcast so the one thing that we do is we just like we don't like really joke around or make jokes that's awful Welcome, everybody, to episode 12 of Ghost Party Radio, an in-depth and very serious exploration into the world of genre film hosted by two small-time cowards. I'm Trevor, and allow me to introduce my co-host, The Ming Ring, directed by Sofia Coppola. It's Adam Cervantes Wagner. Wow, I don't know about that one, Trevor. Um, Adam, before we get into it, uh, we have established on our outro to Revenge episode, or was it the intro to Space Opera episode, we're calling our listeners of the show Ghost Partiers. That's right. That was the intro, I believe. Uh, what do we think about that? Do we have any reviews from the Ghost Partiers? Uh, we don't, but, you know, by the time this one is live, we should have plenty of episodes up for people to review. Yes, we are on episode 12, and we have yet to actually release an episode. But once we do, please hit up the iTunes store, leave us a five-star review, and roast us in that review. And we will read it right at the top of the show, right here. Right now. Adam, let's cut the bullshit and get down to Brax Tax. What do you think? Please. All right. We're going to introduce our guest, uh, someone I've worked with the past couple of years at the Frida Cinema. Please welcome the Frida Cinema's art director, Flash Jordan herself, Jordan Jahangiri. Hello, Jordan. How are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you guys? Savior of the podcast. <laughs> yes, yeah, seriously. We cannot be left to talk to ourselves for more than a minute. How often do you guys have guests? Uh, we have guests on every single episode that is not our intros or outros to our genres. Oh, okay. Guests are where I we can save this. Guests are where we thrive, uh, and yeah, I, I like that you're acknowledging that you are saving the podcast. Uh, Jordan, tell me, what does an art director do at an art house theater? Uh, there's a lot of visuals involved in film, so I'm just in charge of putting together the graphics that we use to market with. Yeah, you know, Jordan, I really miss you working on the uh, calendars every month. I know you used to uh, spice those up with little Easter eggs. Oh, we want to bring those back. So hopefully you guys will have calendars at the drive-in pretty soon. Yeah, we've been doing a lot of drive-ins. Uh, as of this recording, this Saturday is our 100th drive-in since June. So uh, Jordan has been doing all of the art directing for all of those drive-ins. They look great. If you ever come out to them, you see the slides beforehand or anything basically regarding an artistic touch to it that's all jordan that's right we got slides we got instagram we got facebook we got twitter you know we've got it all um so let's get into it uh you as you know uh, an obviously an avid listener of this show this is a podcast about genre film jordan tell us what is your favorite genre of film uh so my favorite genre of film would have to be like a fantasy or medieval fantasy film Mm, or that... anything in between, anything with a lot of, like, impressively weird visuals. Can you give us some names of your favorites? Some names of my uh, favorite fantasy films? Yeah. Um, I'll throw an Excalibur right off the bat because wow. that's, like, a high medieval fantasy film that uh -huh. actually reminded me a lot of Flash Gordon. Interesting. Have you ever stayed at the Excalibur in Las Vegas? <laughs> I have not. Okay, maybe, uh, you know, when things get better. All right. Um, I'm, I'm asking this to a very artistic person, but what makes for a good medieval fantasy film? Uh, you got to have the adventure. You got to have the costuming. That's always, like, a lot of the appeal for me is the crazy costumes, which we get a lot of coming up. Um, and it's just kind of the best way to zone out and enjoy, like, another world. So a lot of people use film as like an escapist two hours, you know, and I feel like fantasy does it best. Are you a big uh, Lord of the Rings person? I am. Nice. 
Um, so I, I did not, our wheel did not land on fantasy adventure movies. Uh, it landed on space operas, which is not too far off. Uh, what is your history with space operas on film? Do you have any favorites of that? Uh, I feel like I was introduced to the space opera genre with a lot of anime that I watched um, when I was younger. So we've got like Captain Harlock, uh, you know, Cowboy Bebop on Adult Swim, that kind of stuff. And then as I got older, I feel like I was getting more introduced to like Star Trek and Star Wars. So it was a weird uh, way that that turned out. Um, but I feel like the Japanese and the Russians definitely have a lot of really cool takes on the space opera genre. Yeah, that's some good foreshadowing. Actually, the movie that I picked to talk about in the coming weeks is uh, the Cowboy Bebop movie. So we'll see how that holds up. Uh, we can blame you for that, I think. And the movie that I picked is uh, the Wachowskis' Jupiter Ascending. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's not a joke, by the way. I, I, we, uh, we really are going to discuss that on this series. There's a lot to talk about in that movie, so I agree. <laughs> I, I, no. I think it's going to do really well on our scale. Um, Jordan, where do you how do you feel about new Star Trek versus Into Darkness? I don't have a lot of Star Trek hours under my belt, uh -huh. uh, but I feel like it's very like a very good representation of the genre, um, and gives you a really good idea of like. Because the thing is with space opera, like I feel like we should really flesh out what a space opera is and what the genre is. Uh, that would help me out. Listen, me, Jordan, yeah. I'll be I'll be doing the hosting on this show. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, you know, to me, space operas are like, uh, you know, giant spaceships, huge crews, multi-galaxy, multi-planet adventuring. I cannot believe Jordan has come on this show and started to tell mm. us what the space opera genre is. That's what it is to me. This is how I feel about space opera. All right. Well, you picked a movie. Uh, Adam, are you ready to get into it? I am ready. All right. So Jordan has selected the film Flash Gordon from 1980, which I think is a fantastic way to kick off this series. Nice. Directed by Mike Hodges. It has 3.2 on Letterboxd. It is the lowest rated Letterboxd film we've done so far. Oh. But 3.2 is very respectable. Anything from 3 to 3.5 is good. Anything from 3.5 to 4 is very good. And anything about 4 is like a, basically a masterpiece, according to Letterboxd. I mean, uh, I didn't pick it for the rating, but uh, I feel like it delivers. Yeah, I, I like Jordan's um, um, pick here because she doesn't confine herself to ratings, Trevor. That's not what this is about. This is about space opera. Oh yeah, this show's not about confining ourselves to ratings. We'll get to that later. But um, the tagline for the film is "He'll save every one of us," and the film is about a football player and his friends who travel to a planet called Mongo and find themselves fighting the tyrant Ming the Merciless to save Earth. Like I mentioned, it has a three point two, and if it's okay with y'all, we're gonna read some reviews real quick. Yeah, right. is that is that the actual uh, bio? Because uh, I would hardly call those people his friends. <laughs> <laughs> This is true, yes. He likes just people he literally met. Popular reviews from listeners CJ Probst on Letterboxd. Uh, Jordan, we don't call people on Letterboxd. People who use Letterboxd, we call them listeners of the show. Uh, uh -huh. CJ Probst gave it three stars each and says, Flash looks like a Third Reich science experiment that was successful. Hey. I don't know what to say about that. Yeah. Next. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> um, moving on to a more recent review, just kind of picking one out of the, uh, you know, you have to skip all the reviews that just say, Flash, ah, there's like literally like 50 in a row. Um, but it's, uh, here, let's pick one. Seven likes on this one from Davis, from listener Davis Grant, three and a half stars. It's time for everyone to admit the hornier the movie, the better it is. Yeah, this movie was pretty H word. Yeah, and I didn't mean to use that word. Sorry, Adam. What I meant to say is it's time for everyone to admit the H word or ear the movie is, the better it is. Mm -hmm. And then the last review here is uh, from recently, February 10th, uh, from a listener Martin Hay gives it two and a half stars and says, this is the Dune Jodorowsky wanted. I wish I knew what that meant. Well, have you not seen Jodorowsky's Dune? I haven't seen any Dune. Nothing. Oh, interesting. Yeah, Jordan wanted to bring on Dune and Jodorowsky's Dune as a double feature to talk about on the feature. show. double feature. That would have been great. Why didn't you? We don't do that. We stick to a very rigid rule system on uh, here. I was we're all a hard about... no to that. We got to yeah. get Trevor out of here. 
<laughs> Sorry, it is what it is. So those are your reviews for Flash Gordon. People seem to be goofing around on Letterboxd. Uh, as we know, we don't goof around this show. Let's get right into it. Uh, we're going to talk about real quick the context for this movie, what we liked about it, uh, what makes it special within the genre, and then we're going to rate it on our arbitrary and Byzantine scoring cycle. Remember, Adam, when we thought that season two would just make this podcast better magically? Like, we just thought that because we dropped a whole first season that it would just be better by the second season? Yeah, and sort of how that's all coming true. Yeah, absolutely. This is definitely not the same exact podcast it was merely one episode ago. Mm -hmm. We finally hit our lowest rated movie. <laughs> That's okay. so sad. No, 3.2 is good, and we're going to get to it. Now, I will say this, and I like to preface it. Um, this is the only context I'm going to give for the movie. So, Flash Gordon comes out in the year 1980. It comes out three years after Star Wars, or what young people like Jordan and Adam refer to as A New Hope. Uh, and basically, they had a... They, I'm just going to get this like bit of trivia out of the way. They had approached Lucas early on to direct Flash Gordon, which uh, is you know is a fit of, of sorts. But another director that was attached to it was Federico Fellini. We could have gotten a Fellini Flash Gordon. What? Yes, I think we did. Could, and uh, Jordan, uh, what's your history with Fellini? I love Fellini. Fellini's uh, my guy. Yeah, at a art house convergence one year, or last year, I should say, or not last year, but was it 2019? Oh my God, was that long I don't ago? Know. Uh, okay. uh, it was Federico Fellini's 100th birthday, or it would have been, and uh, um, Janus Films put on a party for his 100th birthday, so we went to the Federico Fellini birthday party, and we got Federico Fellini uh, scarves scarves. to wear. They've yeah. given away scarves, and they're very plush. Yeah, we tried to get as many of them as we could. We Adam, you, you, Adam, you said we got a Fellini Flash Gordon? Uh, yeah, that was a throwaway joke, so I'd appreciate it if you didn't call me out on that. No, no, I, I actually agree with you a little bit. I, when I was watching this and I heard Fellini, I was, I was like, yeah, that, that kind of, like, this was kind of what it probably would have looked like if an aging Fellini made a Flash Gordon movie. Mm -hmm. Let's not get away from these scarves. What did the scarves look like? They just had his face on them? These scarves are red, and they have a stitched Fellini face on them. Wow. They might also say 100 years. I don't know. <laughs> we'll be selling those in the Ghost Party Radio gift shop pretty soon. Yeah, and if I know yes. my friends over at Janus Films, I'm sure there was a little plug on there for Janus Films. Mm. Uh, and then the third director that was thrown out there was Nicholas Roeg, who had already made Walk About, Don't Look Now, and, of course, The Man Who Fell to Earth. So I think a Nicholas yes. Roeg would have been a really, really good fit for this movie. I would have taken either of the latter two. Yeah, like an art an art house director would have been really interesting to take on this, but we got Mike Hodges, and that's the movie we have, and he directed the original Get Carter with uh, Michael Caine, which is interesting because that is a revenge movie that almost came up on a revenge series that we just did. And then he made a, a, a kind of underrated uh, Clive Owen movie called Croupier uh, about a, a, a croupier who works at a casino. Do y'all know what a croupier is? They make, uh, they sleep with a band, right? Yes, yes. It's an outdated term, uh, but the movie is from 1998, and it's kind of good. I remember my one of my ex's dad would like hunt me down every time I would come over and say, "Have you watched Croupier yet? Have you watched Croupier yet?" And I'm like, "I'm not gonna watch Croupier. Like, what the hell is Croupier?" <laughs> uh, wow. Which which ex was that, Trevor? One of them. One of the one of the one of the very few. Uh, okay, so let's get into this. Let's, let's get, dig let's, into that. Yeah, let's let's get Flash Gordon. Uh, well, we are all over the place right here. But um, first off. We have not watched a bad movie on this podcast yet, Jordan. You, you guys bring... got to get riskier. That's what all I have to say. Well, you bring Flash Gordon on, and I got to say, Flash Gordon, more like Flash Boredom. Whoa! <laughs> Just because it's an hour and 51 minutes. No, this movie absolutely ruled. I'm absolutely joking. Uh, yeah. Doo -doo -doo. Um, this right. was literally the most fun movie we watched on the podcast. But you, you have to think that we're coming off a bunch of really heavy revenge movies. So I absolutely, absolutely love it. Let's start here. Dino De Laurentiis is uh, producing. It just says a Dino De Laurentiis production right up top. We have what I think is literally one of the best opening credit sequences of all time. Because you have the Queen score going. Uh, what did you all think of that incredible opening sequence? Got it. Okay, so yeah, someone tried to tell me before I watched it, this movie that it was not self-aware. And then the opening credits rolled, and it was just purely comic goodness. So it, it just led me to believe that everything I was going to watch after that was going to be totally self-aware, like crazy 80s stuff. So I really liked the opening comic, uh, comic flash uh, 
taste that it had. Yeah, I think I think this movie is extremely self-aware. I feel like uh, th- there's dialogue in here that really just has no place in in a story about people dealing with alien races and about to get killed. Dale Arden, your highness, live and let live. That's my motto. Yeah, we'll go over some of our favorite lines later, but uh, there are some absolutely good ones. So immediately we get 1980s practical effects. So just I'm immediately in it. I'm watching a 4K scan from Studio Canal, which uh, we actually just played on the big 40-foot screen at the drive-in on a double feature with Xanadu because this movie turned 40 years old in 2020. Uh, That's an excellent double feature. But the use of the models, the practical effects, I thought this movie looked awesome. What did you think of the visual style? Uh, I mean, you're the expert, Jordan. Uh, yeah, definitely. Well, it reminded me of uh, Excalibur. And then in my head, I thought, you know, all these sparkles, like, what if you paired it with Xanadu? And then I realized that we did that. So I missed out on it. But honestly, the constant visual sparkling of everybody's costumes and shiny helmets, that that's one of my favorite things in film. Yeah, I love uh, this is exactly what I wanted from uh, getting into a space opera. These sets and everything, you know, you, when you see the the spaceship first fly into the planet and it's all rocky terrain and they're going towards the castle. I love that. I ate that up and I want to see more of that as we keep moving forward. But I don't think there's going to be another movie that does it quite as good. Yeah, I think we're going to get muddled down in some CGI going forward. It depends on what people are going to bring in. But yeah, like you mentioned, the landscapes, the sets. uh, I had already said the use of models. What I meant is like miniatures. If anything blows up, it was clearly a miniature. And I absolutely love that. Um, Yeah, the visual style of this movie got me hooked. It's tangible. And I hate to be the millionth podcast that says like, oh, CGI is bad or whatever. But I think CGI can be done well, and I'm sure we're going to see that in Jupiter Ascending. But I think that the more tangible effects are, the more the stakes feel real. I don't know. How do you guys feel about this? This what? How do you guys feel about this age-old issue of CG versus practical? Uh, I feel like I can't comment on that, not knowing the full scope. But I will say those ink clouds, like throughout the film, really did it for me. Yeah, that rolled. You know, I think. I mean. I feel like there's a good uh, in-between. Had we kept the landscapes practical, but we, d- we did the uh, the Hawkman CGI, I think it would have been okay. <laughs> and uh, this we're moving on immediately to performances. This movie uh, begins and ends with Sam Jones. Do we have any history with Sam Jones? I got nothing on Sam Jones. No, I'm happy for him. And I, I forgot to m- m- mention at the very top, we usually ask this uh, of our guests, but Jordan, did you have any history with not only Sam Jones, but this movie before you watched it? Who are you? Flash Gordon, quarterback, New York Jets. I had listened to some Queen albums <laughs> and heard the song and was slightly interested on, you know, what it was, you know, taking... Uh, taking inspiration from and I didn't realize it was the theme for this film Adam have you seen this film before no I was I'm similar in a similar spot here where I'd only heard about the song the song's pretty famous right and uh, unfortunately I know it from Ted oh no (laughs) but uh I'm I'm glad we finally got to watch it because like I said this was what I was looking for I also have never seen this movie. So this is a really interesting case where we asked someone to bring on a movie. And Jordan, you went the route of wanting to use this podcast as an excuse to watch a movie. So this is a movie that you've been wanting to watch for a while, or did you think it would score well on our rating system? What was the thought process? I don't know about any rating system. It was a movie that I <laughs> wanted to watch uh, alongside Dune. There's a long list of like 80s sci-fi fantasy movies that I need to watch. Uh, this was one of them. And I was meaning to watch it at the drive-in, but I didn't get to it. Hmm. Um, I thought this movie star- uh, starred Dolph, Dolph Lundgren for a long time. Uh, you probably don't even, y- y'all don't even know. You're too old, too young for Masters Dolph Lundgren. Masters of the Universe. Oh, is that, is that what he stars in? That's Dolph. Oh, uh, okay. So that's why I thought he starred in this. But then you, like, you have Sam Jones who, you know, switch one out for the other. Like that person said in the review. It's like a third Reich experiment that went right. Um, yeah, I th- he looks good. He looks very good. But I was, I was, I was shocked that it took forty minutes into this movie before we got his shirt off. Whoa! Yeah, that was a bummer. Did you? Uh, so I, I read some trivia about his T-shirt. Oh. Um, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. So apparently, 
I think this is within the fiction because uh, he has that T-shirt that says Flash on it. Um, that it was given to him by an unknown female fan, and he wears it uh, in case he ever meets her. Oh. Yeah. Missed connection. Yeah, but he fell in love pretty quickly in this movie a few times. It happens to us, and we'll dig into that deeper. But um, I, I thought it was weird that um, he wore like a flash shirt, and then I guess it makes sense. It's like I, I see Tom Brady wearing TB12 shirts all the time, so it's actually not super um, uncommon for an athlete to wear their own brand or whatever. So that, that again, not as goofy as people want to pretend it is. Just want to bring up that he was a polo player in the comics. <laughs> Yeah, but they probably needed it. I mean, the New York Jets probably paid them a little bit of money. They probably needed the money making this movie. Because football rules, dude. Yeah. Uh, we have, oh, here we go. We talk about how movies relate to uh, Batman. But in this movie, we got a bond, baby. Timothy Dalton's in this, also yes. looking hunky as hell. Mm-hmm. Love a Dalton. Yeah, I loved him too. He's reminding me of like an, an Errol Flynn type character. Oh, totally. Uh, anytime I see Timothy Dalton on screen, like Hot Fuzz or whatever, I really like him, but I think I've only seen him in like three or four movies, including those Bond movies. Do y'all have any history or any reference to Timothy Dalton? How did you think he was in this movie? Uh, I thought he was a highlight. <laughs> I'm a big Timothy Dalton fan, I guess, although when I do think about what I've seen him in, I can only think of Hot Fuzz, so uh, I think I still have to go and watch those Bonds. I think uh, I think he's only in one canonical Bond, right? No, he's in two. He's in the Living Daylight. Get get the fuck out of here with your with your Bond. What? You don't know. I've seen if, all the Bonds, buddy. Okay, if okay, if you've seen all the Bonds and you know he's in two Bonds, License to Kill and the Living Daylight. Okay, you're right. I'm thinking of uh, Lazenby, who's only in one. <laughs> yeah, George Lazenby, which is funny because both of those guys are totally fine as Bond, but this is not a Bond podcast. I will I will say that there is on the wheel of genres. It just says. Uh, Bond movies, which I think is really funny because I would totally do like six movies on Bond. <laughs> um, yeah, I thought he did a great job in this movie. It's funny with the performances so scattered, this movie really like separates the wheat from the chaff here. You can tell who's a good actor and who's not so much. We are famous on this podcast for using like outdated terms. What did you just say? The wheat from the chaff? I thought that was a common. <laughs> Is that even the right thing? The good from the bad, the wheat from the chaff. The wheat from the chaff. This is what separates the wheat from the chaff. I think that's how you pronounce it, right? All right. I, I don't know. Here. I don't. I mean... get the feeling of it. I understand what you're saying. Yeah, I mean, I, I got what he was saying, but I've, I've literally never heard that before. You, um, uh, you city folk, you know. <laughs> uh, we're, I, okay, so obviously we have Sam Jones in this, Timothy Dalton. We have to go... Uh, and discuss Max von Sydow, who I could not get over thinking was Christopher Plummer the whole time. RIP to both of them. They both passed away fairly recently. Uh, April of last year, we lost Max von Sydow. And this year, of course, we lost Christopher Plummer. What did we think? We're going to have to get into the ming of, of, of it all right now, I guess. But what did we think? Okay, so is it full on yellow face? Yes. Adam says yes. Jordan, how do you feel? You, Jordan, I don't Jordan, want to you... be contrarian, but I want to say no. Oh my! Yeah, God. here we go. Debate. We're gonna we're gonna have to edit this whole thing out now. God. Uh, never seen those eyebrows on anyone before. So. Okay, so I don't mean to speak for you, Jordan, but I think what I saw is a character named Ming played by Max von Sydow on Planet Mongo. Yes. Uh, so, so the connection between Ming and Mongo is like it just kind of feels like gibberish. So, like maybe the character's not. So, what are the other hints that the character's supposed to be Asian? Because, uh, oh my God, I almost called him Christopher Plummer. Max von Sydow plays it extremely straight. Did we get any other hints that the character was supposed to be Asian? Well, I think him and his daughter also have uh, their eyes done in a way that it comes to a point, which I think is a necessary thing. Also, I think I think. His facial hair harkens back to, um, what do you call that character that was during, you know... Oh, Fu Manchu. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So they... Uh, yeah, Jordan. Oh, it, this is yellow face. I can't believe you said what you said. <laughs> um, yeah, I guess I take it I, I mean, I don't want it to be, and I think... I feel like everyone's probably forgiven this movie for it, right? Although the character was created probably in, what, the 30s or the 20s. 
Yeah, and I, I hate it when something like this happens and the person is really, really good in the role because I thought he was perfectly good in the role. And right. I think that that always helps. Like, I mean, like someone like Al Pacino who is playing a Cuban mm-hmm. in Scarface, he's so good in that movie that people are, like don't even look back at it as being problematic. Right, even though it is. Although Mickey Rooney playing uh, the neighbor in Breakfast at Tiffany's is a big blight on the movie industry. Um, and, but is he good in that movie? I, I don't really know. Is he doing like an accent? I haven't seen Breakfast at Tiffany's. I'm sure we'll get to it on the wheel. You have, Jordan, do you know what I'm talking about? I think I've seen the clip. Oh, so my I would God. Say, uh... <laughs> yeah, I mean, this isn't as bad, and this has some source material, but I'm, I'm sure that the source material was in some way a little bit racist. Yeah, I mean, if it was if it was done in the 1930s, you can bet it was racist. But we'll, let's get away from this. Uh, <laughs> okay. Well, I feel like I feel like it's. I will just say I feel like it's far enough off from any sort of like stereotypical spoken caricature of mm-hmm. uh, Asian culture. I, I guess. That's yeah, true. I think that the reason it's not massively problematic is because he's not doing a voice. Uh, so I, I think that we can call it definitely problematic, but not like the we we're not like gonna turn down watching this movie and society's not going to turn its back on this movie because of it but let's get off this let's get off this um <laughs> my favorite line in the movie is towards the beginning when uh <laughs> flash meets ming and he just says this ming's a psycho this ming's a psycho this ming is a psycho who said that uh, that's a great line there's a, a ton of great lines not to mention the like random uh, messages that get strewn across the sky every once in a while in the film or uh, written on a Ming sculpture towards the end. <laughs> yeah, I also like um, the fact that that's a little bit different because in the comics, it's, uh, what's the name of the girl? Dane? Dale. Dale. Um, she, when they arrive uh, and Ming is about to kill Flash, she says, boy, this guy is merciless. And that's where he gets the name, <laughs> Ming the Merciless. So it's nice that they went for Psycho. Yeah, yeah. Oh, by the way, well, let's not get bogged down by anybody's name. Just kind of describe people. Like, we, we couldn't even be bothered to learn the names of anybody in the Revenge movie, so I'm not expecting anyone to know the names of the people in Flash Gordon. I feel bad because the people making this movie definitely thought they were making, like, the next Star Wars, right? Because that came out three years earlier, and Empire Strikes Back, the second, you know, extremely, extremely popular movie, comes out May of this year. This movie drops in December. So you would think, you know, nowadays, wow, that's a good enough time for the uh, the movie to kind of recover and be the next sci-fi hit. But back in the day, like, Empire Strikes Back was absolutely still in theaters when Flash Gordon came out. Do you think Timothy Dalton signs on to this movie, or especially, like, a Max von Sydow, is like, I'm going to be playing the next uh, Darth Vader? Uh, I'm not totally sure what Max von Sydow has in mind with his... uh choice in taking this role but no one sets out to make like a a a bad cult classic type movie right like no one sets out thinking like oh this is gonna bomb like i i can almost guarantee they all thought like with like the hawkman rocket cycles and all this awesome production design that they were like this is gonna be the next big line of toys this is gonna be the next star wars what do you think adam yeah i mean maybe i think max was already uh when did hannah and her sisters come out uh, I think that was a... re-ask me that question in a second. I'll look it up right now. Okay, and then I can sound like I know the exact answer, right, the yeah. exact year. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we're already doing the editing, so ask that question again. 1986. Oh, oh Jordan, guess ask, ask ask the question again, Adam. Okay. Uh, uh, when did uh, Hannah and her sisters come out, Jordan? 1980. Ah, <laughs> 1986. 1986. Yeah. So I mean, Max, I think he just wanted to get more into American cinema stuff too. And I feel like uh, maybe he saw this as an opportunity to be a big name in American cinema. Yeah, definitely. Like when I heard that Fellini was going to direct it, it's possible. I, I know Von Sydow is more of like an Ingmar Bergman dude. Calm down, Jordan. Uh, but I could see how when Fellini comes onto the movie, maybe Max Von Sydow sees that as a chance to work with him. And then um, Fellini drops out and then it's like, oh, uh, uh-oh, now I'm stuck in this movie. And then it comes out and it kind of like, it didn't bomb. I mean, we'll get to it in the box office and stuff like that. It, 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 it's a cult classic now. And critically at the time, people kind of liked it. They thought it was pretty cool. Queen helps a lot with that. But um, he gives it his all in this performance. I think, I, And I think he's pretty good. I think there were a lot of pretty good performances. Uh, honestly, I think Sam J. Jones, uh, Max von Sydow, uh, Timothy Dalton all played it really straight. And then you've got like Brian Blessed, who's got like the theatrical 
uh, yelling as a as a male Valkyrie kind of role. Yeah, that was pretty enjoyable. I think I think the line readings in this movie were very fun. There's a lot of cool voices. So it's interesting because you say Sam Jones is good in this, but he's really in only... Okay, so his two most popular movies on Letterboxd are Ted and Ted 2. Uh, and then Glass Aww. Gordon is number three. He's uh, he's in that movie with Bo Derek, uh, 10, um, which is a fairly famous movie. And then he's in L.A. Takedown, and then he's in nothing. So like this, this was not like the big takeoff for his career. So um, kind of if you're going to equate this to Star Wars, you have Mark Hamill, who's an absolute nobody, who becomes a superstar with Star Wars. And you have to think that Sam J. Jones here is thinking, like, I'm going to be the next Mark Hamill. I'm going to be the next star. And unfortunately, it doesn't work out for him. So, But I- I'm happy to hear that you said that you thought he was good in this. I mean, I heard there was a bit of controversy between him and the producer. Oh, tell us more about this thing you read on IMDb. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, well, he and the producer didn't really get along very well, which is a big deal if the producer is... Uh, Dino you know, De Laurentiis. Who, yeah. <laughs> Uh, which I keep trying to call him uh, Oscar de la Renta, so I gotta try again <laughs> here. Um, but anyways, uh, I think there was something that happened um, after the production of the film um, where he got in a fight with a bunch of soccer hooligans and they cut his face uh, before they could get like the pictures done for the film, essentially. Oh, um, interesting. So there was something to do with that and something to do with uh, them having to redub his voice for the film. So the, the voice that we hear during the film is not his. Hmm. Whoa, I didn't, I didn't know that. That's fascinating. I mean, it's interesting that Mark Hamill got in a big car accident between Star Wars and Empire Strikes Back and they like wrote that into the second movie. They had the luxury of doing that. But what an odd reason for Dino De Laurentiis to hold that against them. But you're right. Yeah. You crossed Dino De Laurentiis in the late 70s, early 80s. You're, I, you, you nailed it. You're not going to work again probably in Hollywood. Yeah, Sam Jones, I guess, was uh, he was in a contract for three Flash Gordon movies, and they uh, canceled that, essentially. Yeah, I have a question. Why do you guys think that, that Star Wars took off where this didn't? I think Star Wars was maybe a bit more serious and realistic. Mm-hmm. I feel like we enjoy Flash Gordon a lot now because we can call it like an 80s film and it's super campy and weird, but it's a bit different than Star Wars in that way. I I think that in this time when movies are in the theaters for this long, like Star Wars leaves theaters in 1978 and it came out in 77. The next one comes out in 1980. I think the American public only has at that time enough you know, sci-fi in their heart, sci-fi based on serials. I mean, that's exactly what Flash Gordon is. Star Wars is basically Flash Gordon. That's what it's taking from. And Star Wars beat it to the punch. I think that there just wasn't enough room for these two. You know, this one was going to be a hopeful franchise. And what I wanted to ask was, would you guys watch a sequel to this movie? Because after watching it, I was like, oh God, I wish they had made like two or three of these. I would definitely watch a sequel to this movie. Yeah, I would totally also, especially, I mean, Hopefully they go keep going over the top with it. Uh, Adam, what would be your pitch for the sequel? Let, let's say you were given carte blanche to make a sequel to this movie in 1985. Okay. Uh, first of all, let's let's bump it up to an R rating because I don't like that PG. They were kind of coasting along. Uh. Uh, let's get hardcore with the weapons. I want to see some heads explode. Yeah. And finally, let's let's let them off the leash. We know that they want to get to it. And they want to get busy. These guys and girls in space. So. Let's let him. I was just thinking that's the only angle you could take on it is just making it way more H-word. That would set it apart from Star Wars, for sure. And they did have a lot of pre-Slave Leia outfits going on. So they came up with that first. Yeah, I mean, uh, in 1983, three years later, uh, Return of the Jedi is ripping that off. That's right. Do you, Ming the Merciless, ruler of the universe, take this earthling, Dale Arden, to be your empress of the hour? Of the hour, yes. You promise to use her as you will? Certainly. Not to blast her into space? Until such time as you grow weary of her. I do. Jordan, um, who would you marry from this movie if you could marry one person? <laughs> who would I marry yeah. from this movie? Yeah. Hold, hold on, Jordan. Let me give you some context. Uh, Adam likes to bust this out every few episodes, uh, just like I like to bring out segments and stuff his favorite segment is who would you rather marry i'm giving you the option if you can pick anyone except let's not do uh timothy dalton 
You can marry anyone else. That's that's fine. I can still pick someone out of the other yeah. uh, set of beautiful actors, Italian and English, right. and you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Ornella Muti is beautiful, okay. beautiful Italian actress. Uh-huh. Slam dunk. Uh, very very much a seductress in this film. Right. Uh, gets what she wants, uh-huh. takes what she wants. Uh-huh. I think that's great. But then you got a. Uh, you got Kala, played by Mariangela Malato, who I've seen in some uh, Lena Wertmuller movies, who's another Italian actress, um, who's also like a, in my opinion, like a sex queen. Right. So I think those are two very viable options. You there. can only marry one, Jordan. Don't get greedy. Uh, let's go with uh, Miss Malato then. Wow, great choice. Ten beauties, am I right? Oh, yeah. Trevor? Uh, yeah, I'll take it from here. Uh, Trevor, you <laughs> always a successful segment. You, who are you um, marrying? Oh, me. Yeah. Uh, am I? And I'm, I'm not allowed to say the same thing. Uh, oh come on. Yeah, she's it, taken. It's, come on. It, it's it's definitely Ornella Muti. Okay, nice. I would oh, yeah. I would go with the first lizard man that we see, the one who's the trying to escape, one? and he uh, dies. You know who I'm talking about? Yes. Yeah, I I really like his bravery, his courage. Mm-hmm. Right. And imagine how uh, beautiful Ornella Muti has to be for me to pass up the quarterback for the New York Jets. Am I right? Uh. <laughs> Friggin' savior of the universe. I'm just surprised no one wants to be with Brian Blessed. <laughs> I love how we're throwing out these actor names like people are like, yeah, yes, 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 yes. We know these people. Um, I called you at the beginning of the show. You thought it was problematic, Adam. But what did we think of the Ming Ring? Oh, the literal Ming Ring? Yes. Yeah, that was pretty sweet. Uh, it's hard to tell exactly what it does. I guess it freezes people and also lets them teleport. Um, I like his little machine that creates different weather things like hot hail. Oh, Hot yes. hail, yes. Yeah, wait. So uh, I will, we'll, get, we'll get back to the Ming Ring in a second. But yeah, that opening, that cl- is it a cold? Yeah, it's a cold open because we don't have any credits yet. That opening is fantastic mm-hmm. where he's just like bored. I know we're jumping around a lot, but he's literally bored. So he's like, what have you brought me today? And it's like earth. And he's like, all right, I'm going to hit it with an earthquake. Did you guys like that opening? I loved it. I loved the uh, weather effects buttons. Yeah, I thought it was sweet. And we have his cool voice going over it too. When, when it was zooming into the earth, I thought it was still like logos. Yes, because I, I got a normal like like brand new universal logo then i got an old universal logo and then i was like are we getting a third universal logo <laughs> so the the reason i bring up the ming ring is because um it makes that very distinct noise i went to see scott pilgrim uh, versus the world at the new beverly in 2010 right after it had bombed and uh the entire cast was there minus chris evans so if you know the cast of scott pilgrim versus the world it's like an extremely good cast and very impressive especially looking back on it now in 2021 and edgar wright was there and he, we were talking about, basically he was just like kind of acknowledging how it had bombed and how he had been really bummed because he had worked on it for a really long time. And he said, well, it's a $65 million movie. They didn't know how to market it. It's a lot of different things. And then someone was like, how did you get the budget of $65 million like when you've worked on these like smaller movies or whatever? And he was like, well, looking back on it now, it's not a surprise that it bombed because we spent $18,000 on the moment when Gideon, played by Jason Schwartzman, pulls up his green ring. It makes the Ming ring sound. It makes that exact same sound. And they said that that cost them $18,000. Holy cow. So you can see why Scott Pilgrim vs. the World bombed. And it was funny to hear the director slash writer slash producer admit that maybe they had gone a little overboard with their universal budget. Yeah, I'm surprised they kept let him make movies after that. <laughs> yeah, well, it didn't bomb like horribly, horribly, horribly. And then he didn't make another movie for like five years. I think like five or six years, Baby Driver was his next movie. Right. But still, like, uh, I don't know. A choice like that is pretty, pretty tough to get past. Yeah, I mean, it, it, you know, Edgar Wright has the ideas. It, it's not only up to him like a bunch of people had to sign off on that so it's not his his fault you know they could have just said no um but going on with what else we liked about this movie uh i'm gonna wrap up mine by saying what do we think of the final raid the final moments we have this brian may from queen guitar solo that goes on for like five minutes while lasers are just flying everywhere i thought it was incredible incredible flash Flash, i love you but we only have 14 hours to save the earth I was honestly tuned out at the point where the falcons were flying around in the sky. 
Um, and I tuned back in towards the end. Uh, wow. <laughs> I would say my, my favorite moment in the film is where they go to uh, planet Arborea. It really reminds me of like the Ewoks and that gives me my like fantasy uh, element that I need, I guess. Mm-hmm. I, I appreciate your courage, Jordan, in saying that because I also tuned out during that fight. I, okay. I didn't really care too much about what was going on. I did like, uh, what was uh, Trevor? Could you do the impression of um, uh, that main guy calling his troops down? <laughs> no, but I love that character. I love that character. Yeah, I think, um, yeah, I loved I loved all the planet stuff. I loved all the in-between planet stuff. Uh, like you were saying, Jordan, the ink stuff that was going on. I thought that was such a cool representation of space. It was a little bit confusing, but I loved to look at it. Jordan, was there anything just kind of plucked out of obscurity that you really liked about this movie? I guess the costuming was pretty wild. I don't feel like I've seen costuming that's got that many beads on it in a very long time. Uh, So that was kind of obscure to me. Yeah, I was impressed to see like all the different cultures and whatnot in this movie. Yeah, I mean, it, 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 like with Jodorowsky's Dune, you could see a, a lookbook being released for Flash Gordon that would just be like a hundred pages of costume design, set design. I mean, the movie is so rich in texture. Right. Let's talk about the best scene. I think the scene that kind of straps us in and tells us what kind of movie we're going to be watching here. The scene where uh, Flash starts uh, hitting all those aliens with those weird alien uh, footballs. And, and no, everyone's kind of okay with it. And they're <laughs> the down. The green footballs. Yeah. The green eggs. Yeah. Are your men on the right pills? That was nuts. And then on the side, you have Dale doing a little cheerleading thing, too. Yeah. Uh, I, yeah. So the uh, the reference there, Adam, was that was a reference to American football. Oh, I see. I'm more of a polo guy. Nice. Yeah. Uh, I just love that. I love that sort of really hokey nature, you know? Well, but, I mean, I, I thought from the onset of this movie that Flash was a superhero. Yeah, and then I found out he's just a football player, and like, I when when he went through the portal, when he goes uh, up in the rocket, essentially with Dale and the uh, the the scientist um, Zarkov, mm-hmm. um, I thought that that was going to give them all superpowers, and it didn't. He's just a football player. Yeah, I thought the same thing. And you're referring to the uh, rocket built for friendship, right? That's the one. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then, yeah, it's funny because that, that's all he does. He just does weird tackles and every once in a while he'll throw in some football lingo. And then he knows how to use a whip. He knows how to use a whip. And Jordan, you might be able to help, help me with this. There's an anime term for this kind of character, like a shonen jump uh, main character who just inspires people with how good he is. Oh, you know what I'm uh, talking about? Like a bee shonen? Yeah, like a, well, like a Naruto or like a guy from Hunter. Come on, Jordan, like help a me. Ninja. Yeah, yeah. Anyways, that's that was his superpower. Oh no. <laughs> um, he just seemed to have all the skills he needed to get by in this uh, space world. Right. He had he had to look hot, which was important to saving right. his life, because of that. He had that, the girl. Yeah. He had another girl. Right. He died four times. <laughs> right. I can't believe that we're doing an anime movie on this series and you still want to shoehorn talking about anime. Okay, first of all, Jordan Jordan brought up anime first in this conversation. I feel like I've been sabotaged. I really wanted to pick uh, uh, some sort of anime. Yeah, I was was considering, I was talking to Trevor about it and I was considering, do you know the the anthology film Memories? Yes, I was going to pick that movie. (laughs) Yeah, I, was, I wanted to do that, but I didn't have the balls. And Trevor was like, you know, oh, Adam, that's so stupid. Why are you going to do that? Idiot? It's got the Satoshi Kon segment. Yeah. I've never seen it before. Same here. And it's available on Prime, so people can watch it. Right. This movie was a little harder found. Yeah, you had to rent it for three ninety nine on Amazon did Prime. Did you guys rent it for three ninety nine on Amazon Prime? One of us did. Yeah, we share an Amazon Prime account now. And what Adam likes to do is he likes to put movies in like the recently watched queue for when I log on so I can ah. see like joke movies. And then the, the new one that he added was The Amazing Race. That's great. Which Trevor, is uh, a, a comment on race. Trevor, for the love of God, I haven't been adding movies. <laughs> I did the Medea movies, but those last two, I don't know where they're coming from. Okay. All right. All right. All Sounds right. like you guys have a good bit going. <laughs> it's actually real and not fake. But um, okay. Uh, are we ready to move on to box office and legacy? Yeah. 
All right. Yeah. So oh, wait, this whoa, 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 wait. Very, yeah, what? we have to talk about this sort of Deus Ex ending of this movie. Oh god, oh. it's so anticlimactic. Long live Flash! You've saved your life. Have a nice day. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, and I, I was reading that they didn't even really know how to end the movie, so yeah. uh, what's his name? Flash Gordon just sort of jumps into the camera and says, "Yeah." That the flash was jump. so insane. What an insane ending to like a pretty pretty climactic movie you know what i mean like mm-hmm. there's building to something really great and like you guys said that you you just like tuned out during the ending climax and then after it gets worse right and you could tell they didn't know what to do because i mean how do you save the earth when ming disappears the timer runs out and then the robot comes in and says hey you did it uh it, it, it th- th- that was the moment where i felt like the movie actually was pretty self-aware in terms of just being like ah whatever let's just end the movie I think it uh, lived on. I think it's that's a legacy feature from this film. Yeah, not giving a shit in Hollywood. Okay, so... <laughs> flash um, jump, come on. The flash jump. Uh, Wait, uh, Jordan, can you give us your impression? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> very good, very Speaking good. of legacy. Although it was a box office success in the United Kingdom and Italy, Flash Gordon performed poorly in all other markets. Uh, it didn't do well commercially but it did pretty well critically actually at the time some people really liked the movie but now looking back on it 40 years later as we saw at a packed drive-in screening it is a cult classic and i can see why i think it holds up extremely well but we're gonna see how it holds up on our arbitrary and byzantine system jordan it is time to rate this film tell me how adam take it away all right, here we go. Rating the first film in our space opera saga. Category one, Jordan, on a scale from one to ten. How grand is the scope of this movie? How grand uh, of a scale? Like, how grand is the scale of the film? Yeah, how uh, cool are the planets? How wide-ranging is this film? How uh, epic How epic is Flash Gordon 1980? It's extremely epic, and it knows it. It's got, like, the craziest costumes I've seen in a long time. Uh, The planets reminded me a lot of Kingdom Hearts planets. (laughs) When you kind of sail up to them and they kind of start rotating towards you. I thought that was super cool. Right. Um, I don't know. There was a lot of gold. There was a lot of sparkle. Very opulent. Very grand. What is that? uh, In terms of scale... I think that there was like more to be seen, so I think that's kind of where those sequels would have played into that, but yeah. What would you give it out of 10? Out of 10, Mm -hmm. give it a a 6.75 out of 10. Whoa. Because I want to see more. I want to see more, but I know there's not more, you know? Okay. Um, I'm with Jordan on this one. I'm going to give it a six for the reasons she stated. Uh, I think there is more. I think we go to another planet. We go to some planets, but I think there is more that we would have gotten in sequels. Mm-hmm. So by default, there's more. I'm giving it a six. Really quick, Trevor, can you explain some of the details of Kingdom Hearts to me? Yeah, so Kingdom Hearts is a video game that originated on the Sega Dreamcast, actually. It came out on that one originally. Uh, And it is a a game that's sort of like a Final Destination uh, 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 RPG where you have, like, Disney characters. uh, And it's like Super Smash Brothers where they fight each other. Right, and the main character's name. How much of that did I get right? Well, just give me the main character's name. Goofy. That's right. Okay, 100%. Way to go. Goofy is the hero. Um, yeah, you know what? I feel like, I don't know. I really liked, you know, we start on Earth, we go through a weird black hole, we see all these different alien cultures. I'm going to give it an eight. I knew you were going to go with an eight. We were on Earth for a while. I was concerned it wasn't going to be enough of a space opera. (laughs) We weren't on Earth for that long. We were on there pretty long. I was very concerned. I was like, what is this movie I picked that's not a space opera? I think think the mark of a good space opera actually is that it starts on Earth, but we'll get to that. Jordan's just feeling the isolation. Category two, how colorful is this movie? Oh, 10 out of 10. You got every color from here to eternity. You name a color, it's in this movie. It's on a girl. There is one girl dressed up in that color on Planet Manga. There you go. 
Um, this movie's gonna take a hit. I'm not giving it a ten. Uh, I can't, I can't safely say this is a ten. I've only seen one space opera. I don't mean to hold it too much against it, but I'm gonna give it a very Ooh. very strong eight and a half. Trevor, what oh. colors was this movie missing for you? Uh, I it's not that it was missing was colors. Too much red. It's not that it's missing colors. Is that I think we could have gotten a little bit more. So I'm giving it to Federico Fellini. I'm giving it a ten too. Come on. All right. I don't mean 10. to be the guy to bring it down, but I, I gotta, I gotta be reserved. I know what Trevor. You wanted more ink in the sky, different colors. Yeah, Trevor has like hummingbird eyes, so this spectrum isn't good enough. <laughs> um, category three. How fun is this movie? How optimistic? This movie gave me Princess Bride vibes. Uh, pre Princess Bride? No, post Princess Bride, right? Pre. Are we sure? Okay, yes. Uh, I don't know. It was pretty optimistic. I was never ultra concerned. We had the main character die two to four times. I don't really know. Uh, and his uh, his bow was concerned, but not crying the death cry of a, of a loved one dying for real. So it wasn't that much of a downer at all. Was the, the music really hyped it up. So I'll give it a nine and a half out of ten. Nice. Jeez, nice. a nine and a half. You're you're rigging you're rigging the system to benefit your movie. That's crazy. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, also, let's play a mini game within a game because we like making lists and games and talking about movies on this Love podcast. Games. But um, I know that you don't care about movies that were made well before you were born, Jordan. But uh, Adam. How That's many? A lot. How many years off was uh, Jordan on the Princess Bride? Um, how, uh, so Flash Gordon came out in 1980. Right. Uh, I will say that Jordan uh, thought that Princess Bride may have came out before it. Uh-huh. It came out after it, but how long after did it come out? Uh, Wallace Shawn was a young man. I'll give it uh, eight years. Yes, this was. It came out seven years after Flash Gordon. You guys know the scene with the swamp, right? Yes. They plucked that straight from this film. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, interesting you bring up The Princess Bride, not to go on a tangent this late in the episode, but I think that if we were to ever do like a March Madness style, like what movie is the most genre movie, I think Princess Bride would be one of the most genre movies of all time because it's so many different things and it's successful at doing them all. Mm-hmm. But let's get back to this real quick. I'm giving it a 10. This is one of the most fun movies I've ever seen and literally wow. the most fun movie we've watched on this podcast so far. It's getting a hard 10 from me. Do you guys think it would be more fun if it was shorter? I think I think if uh, the last scene wrapped up a little bit more climactically and the fight was a lot cooler, then I think it would be more fun. Category four. <laughs> wait, wait, I gotta get my rating on this. Um, yeah, you know, it's hard to argue with the fact that when these uh, these Flash Gordon and the others are imprisoned and taken to like this council of evil aliens, that they start breaking out and dance and fighting, and they're smiling during that whole time. I'll give it a nine. Oh, nine. Uh, yeah, so we got a 9.5, a 10, and a, and a, and a nine. Uh, uh, yeah, this movie was really, really, really fun. Let's hear category four. Category four. How reluctant slash unprepared is the hero? Uh, and then a high rating would be he's very unprepared? Yes, yeah, so very reluctant or very unprepared. Yeah. He gets into it pretty quick. I think he uh, gets to the rules of the universe pretty quickly. So I would give it him being very prepared and seemingly uh, uh, quick to get used to things. I would give him a a half star. (laughs) Oh boy, wow. A half star is in 0.5, not five out of 10. Right. Oh boy, yeah, see, so this this trope definitely exists in this movie. He's reluctant uh, to even be shot up into the spaceship. Yeah, he doesn't want to put his foot on the pedal. Right, so he's reluctant to go up. Um, He's um a mere nfl quarterback so he's unprepared for the stuff that's going to come now he uses his skills obviously but when they get there there's even a line of dialogue where the doctor says to all the people lined up he says look at these people they're just ready for a rebellion (laughs) like you should do it and Flash gordon's (laughs) like what why would i do it so they definitely like speed through the trope a little bit but i'm giving it i'm giving i'm gonna give it a six i think he's actually pretty reluctant and unprepared the trope definitely exists. I'm giving it a six. I, I think it's funny. I think 
also it's almost non-existent. He just he is learning everything pretty quickly. I like that. He, he even learns how to fly that ship um, like right away, despite it being very sensitive. Yeah, uh, I'm gonna give it a three. Okay, all right. All right. I, I I read this I read this category differently than y'all. And that's okay. All right, category five. How cool is the tech? Oh, the tech. Uh, the tech is very fantasy tech. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm trying to think of something other than the ring and the ship that blasts off, which is very much like a 40s, 50s rocket ship, right? Right. There's uh, that cool uh, pad that they fight on. There's, oh, I, the thing about this movie that I love so much and the thing I love about like fantasy, like like 80s fantasy films or sci-fi films is how wobbly all the props are. <laughs> so when when he and uh, he and uh, Baron are fighting on the 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 death circle, um, they jump onto that thing. It's wobbling all over the place. And then he's got like the magical item that like tilts the tilts the circle in the center yeah. <laughs> to try to get them to fall off. And you've got the holes in the ground like you would at a like a water park, and they're shooting up the spikes. Um, so uh, the tech in this movie, I wasn't super impressed by, but it was very entertaining. Mm-hmm. So uh, I'm trying to think where I would put that on a, a rating scale. Uh, I guess. And uh, we're talking very cool, like cool tech, yeah, right? Yeah. Does it, what do you feel in your stomach in terms of cool? I don't feel like it was cool, but I felt like the fact that it wasn't cool was cool. Okay. And that's the epitome of camp here, right? Here, right? So I guess I'd give it a flat five. Wow. Yeah, playing it safe, I see. Um, so, yeah, I think that this is like a really good, because it's based on serials, like Adam said, from the 30s and when those were popular in the 30s and 40s. They had to guess like hundreds of years in the future what the tech would be like, so they're gonna they're gonna miss sometimes. Um, I think that maybe this category should be reworked to how fun is the tech or how cool is the tech or whatever. But I'm giving it a solid seven. I thought some of the stuff was cool, like the like the uh, the bike he used and the guns and the lasers and stuff like that. It, it's fairly basic stuff, but it's it's well imagined and executed. Seven for me. Nice. Yeah. You know. I mean, before we get away from it, uh, Jordan brings up a, an interesting point that. It, within the genres of sci-fi and fantasy, there's often a lot of overlap, and it kind of becomes difficult to suss out what is sci-fi and what is uh, fantasy. But I think the fact that we did start on Earth and there is tech-related things, we can consider it a uh, hard and true space opera. Um, but the tech in this, I'm going to give an eight. I thought I really like that ring. I like the Death Circle. That does it for me. I'm a simple man. They had the uh, the brain ray pointed towards the lower regions uh, at the very beginning of the scene, and then it moved up towards the head, and we found out it was like a memory eraser ray. Right. Do we think that was cool? Yeah, there's that weird line, too, where it shows Hitler on the screen, and then uh, one of them comments, oh, <laughs> that, that guy seemed promising. <laughs> what was I going to say? Oh, also, I mean, the fact that there's the um, that satellite in the opening with all the different cool weather stuff, that's tech. Uh, I should bump up my score for just that alone, Mm. but sticking to seven. All right. Let's get to the bonus category. Also out of ten, Jordan, Mm -hmm. how evil is the villain? He is willing to teach his daughter a lesson and to marry her off to somebody who may not be as appealing as Timothy Dalton. (laughs) So... I'm also trying to think at the end he disappears. He's not able to overcome the hero. Right. But he doesn't do anything. I'm trying to think of something he does that is extremely dastardly. Mm-hmm. Maybe one of you could convince me otherwise, but I'd probably give it a four. <laughs> Interesting. Um, I'm with Jordan on this one, actually. Uh, for, for having the name Ming the Merciless... And the performance being as pretty good as it is from a great actor, 
he's not that evil. I mean, this is also the bonus category, so you can't give away too many points. I mean, I'm giving it a five. He he really he doesn't show like like even in like the J.J. Abrams Star Wars movies that like, we open on like Kylo Ren like blowing up like three planets at a time. You know what I'm saying? Like that's like truly evil. So this guy's middle of the road, man. Five. Yeah, it's a good point for being merciless. He shows a lot of mercy throughout this film. Um. He blows up the earth, which is a big, uh, big no-no. However, he doesn't really seem to care that much about it. I'll give it a five also. He does treat the lizard people pretty bad. Yeah, he's super racist, which is ironic. I'll bump my score up to a four and a half. All right, uh, and here are the final numbers for this film. We have Jordan giving it out of a possible 50 points, and that does not include the bonus, as you know. 36.25. 36.25. Jordan, how do you feel about that score? I don't know. Because <laughs> <laughs> you have zero context. <laughs> okay. Uh, for some other context, I have given the film a total of 42.5, much, much higher than yours. And Adam has done above me. He gave it a 43, which gives this movie a total of 121.75 how, wow. you feeling, how are you feeling about that adam knowing what you know about how the how the uh revenge series went uh i'm gonna be curious to see i feel like this is sort of the epitome of uh, what a space opera should be um it's a good score uh knowing what we know uh jordan so great job bringing this movie on uh i think you tanked it a little bit by giving it that 0.5 on the unreluctant Mm -hmm. hero part of it oh man do we want an unreluctant hero trope yes we want all the tropes we want the most space opera space opera oh man but it's too late now. Uh, Jordan, thank you for bringing this on. Uh, I had a blast watching this. The second the Queen score kicked in, I was like, oh, shit. This is going to be really, really, really fun. Jordan, do you have anything that you'd like to plug? Maybe a letterbox or a personal website? I would usually never do this, but I will plug my letterbox. I have yet to uh, add Flash Gordon to my diary. So if y'all follow me, maybe you'll, you'll get to see that up towards the recents. Uh, but my letterboxed is tits ablaze. That's so, this, tits this, ablaze. So this is a joke that I'll do. Like if we ever do anything for the Frida, like uh, Jordan has been nice enough to come onto the uh, and do all the graphics for our our ten hour marathons that we do, and our streamathons that we do use to raise money. And I'll always ask her in front of like the nonprofit crowd, like, do you have a letterbox you would like to plug? And of course, like she's not going to say it. So. Uh, thank you for being so, so brave and plugging your letterbox on this show. But what's that website? I heard you mentioned some freelance stuff earlier. I've got a website, um, or you can follow me and get to that website via my Instagram, which is a little bit easier. Uh, it's it's a riff on my last name, so it's Jahangi, um, but I'll spell that really quickly for y'all. I know this is a podcast. It's D-J-A-H-A-N-G-Y. That's it. Thanks, Jordan. Adam, where can the people find you? Uh, follow me on Instagram at Projector Fuel, and uh, my website is Adam JC Wagner. Awesome. Com. And as always, uh, what's sorry, what? Dot com. Okay. Dot <laughs> com. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, and I, my plugs, as always, my plugs, as always, at Trevor Dills on Instagram and Twitter. Follow us at Ghost Party Picks for all social media stuff regarding the podcast. And I have a letterbox, uh, and my at is uh, Dixablaze. <laughs> I'll cut that one out. Yeah, it's at Captain Dills. You can follow me on Lebertalks at Captain Dills, where I have the whole list of all the Ghost Party Radio movies we've been doing. This one was a hot mess. I am so, so happy to have you on the show, Jordan. Thank you for biting the bullet. And we have a long history of you wanting to play movies at the theater, even when back in the day when you were a volunteer and you won, you won Volunteer of the Month. Uh, I think we ended up, I ended up taking like your seventh movie that you wanted to watch because I kept being like, no, that's not a good one. That's not a good one. And I did it again to you on this series because I wanted you to pick something that I thought would have a very strong start to the space opera thing. So thank you for uh, passing on the Russian films you wanted to do or the Japanese films you wanted to do. I wanted to take a little more mainstream. I thought this was a fantastic start. Uh, So I want to publicly apologize to you. But 121.75 is a very strong start. And you are maybe going to go far in the ratings at the end because at the end of these uh, series, what we do is we have an outro where we give awards out. Uh, Adam, I almost ended the episode without doing this. Jordan, 
What would you like to give out in the award show? We'll call the award the Jordan Jahangiri Award for, and we'll give the award to a movie that is good enough for your namesake. So what do you want to call it? Uh, and this is going to be attributed to one of these space opera films. Correct. And you can always kind of tilt the board towards Flash Gordon if you want that to win the award. But I, I do want to warn you if, if a movie or if you win, if Flash Gordon wins an award, you have to leave a voicemail for us and be on the outro episode for at least a minute. Oh, man. Uh, can we call it? Wait, what are we calling it again? The Jordan Jahangiri Award for. Can I give the Jordan Jahangiri Award for Shitty Red Mane? Oh, <laughs> beautiful. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so you really want to be on the show, huh? I have a feeling who the winner is going to be. Yeah. Right. Wow. Excellent choice, Jordan. Okay. Great, great, great. The Jordan Jahangiri Award for Shitty Red Mane. There we go. Awesome. Uh, Adam, any parting words for Jordan? Uh, great, great choice. You know, it's a bummer to hear that uh, the man had to keep you down, keep some of your picks down. Hashtag free Jordan out there. Thank you. Um, this Trevor's a real psycho. <laughs> <laughs> but thank you for coming on. This was a great start. Thanks. Hopefully I can come on again for some other genre. Yes, we'll have you on anytime you want to come on. Uh, this was a lot of fun. Uh, This has officially been Ghost Party Radio. Thank you all for listening. And we have successfully, Adam... Gordoned the Flash. Bye. Bye. Mm, That's a 10.